So you're a rising scholar. Yeah. What is that? Rising Scholar is um, a program for formerly incarcerated and system impacted students that are recently either coming out of prison or I mean coming out of prison or just um, system impacted could be any like any like a brother, sister, um, anybody that is close to you that's impacted by the system, either be by for, from jail, drugs, or just overall just impacted over in the system. Yeah, and how did you end up here? Like, what what were some of the key points in your life that, you know, made you have this situation and now you're here? Well, I grew up, um, uh, I grew up in Santa Barbara and um, at a very young age, um, pretty much, um, I come from two immigrant parents and my dad passed away when I was like in sixth grade. So my mom was always working. My brother was already a gang member in prison. Um, I didn't really see him like in my, in like from, for a long time when I was growing up, I didn't see him because he was in prison. So I would always spend time with, with you know, with friends and, and have, you know, one thing led to another, just my mom always being away. I just always found a group where I could just hang out and be, mainly accepted just because I lived in the community where that was what you had to do, you know? No one around me ever went to college or did um, did higher education. So I ended up going to prison for, for, um, for a federal crime. So while I was growing up, the way the federal crimes work was a RICO crime. Well, RICO statute. The way it works is like they go seven years back. So from 18, 19, 20, 21, say pretty much they could take anything that you've done within the seven years once they start your indictment. So pretty much a lot of group of my friends got arrested and we all went to prison. We're like the youngest ones there, you know. So I went to prison and I got out. And... I came to SBCC for the first time and I got a, a glimpse of like what school was. And I went for a couple of years, but I just didn't, um, I, that, that wasn't like, I wasn't ready at that time, you know? So I went back to what I knew, you know, crime and drugs and just what I was used to, you know? Yeah. And how old were you when you went to prison? Mm, for the first time I was, um, Oh, I got busted when I was like 11 for, for like selling weed. And then when I went to, well, that was junior hall. So when I went to prison, I was maybe like nine, 19, nine, 20. I was 20, yeah. And what's that like? Because a lot of people, when you turn 18, you know, you go into the world, uh, you either go to college or you start working. But at 19, going to prison, what's that like? Um. 
Well, it was hard, you know, like, was it 19? It was like mainly 20, yeah, but it was getting my mixed dates mixed up, but it was hard, you know, because I was, I was also like a parent at the time. I was a very young parent. And when I went into the prison system, I was so used to just like being out with my friends. But the first time I went to prison, I went with all my friends. So like we were all there together. It wasn't like something that was like, it felt kind of normal at the time because everybody that I grew up with was right next to me at the same time. So it was like, I didn't really get the glimpse of like, this is like prison. <laughs> it was like, well, I'm here with all my friends and like, okay, so we're all here together, you know? It wasn't until I went back to prison the second time is when I really got a glimpse like, oh man, like, cause I was no longer, I was older and I was just pretty much by myself. You know, they take you, they take you out of your city and they ship you out somewhere and everyone around you is, you don't know. It would be, you'd be lucky to know someone you know, it's like maybe every other year or, oh, or someone's from Santa Barbara. Oh, okay. So then you go, you go and talk to them. And then it just like a very, like, it just takes everything out of me, you know, it's kind of, and in shorter ways, like depressing. <laughs> yeah. And how do you survive in prison? Because there's multiple layers to it. I mean, there's obviously like the COs and then there's the culture within the inmates. Right. Well, it's a, just surviving with other gangs. You know, you 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 leave one, you leave the gang you're from, and you go to become, uh, you know, involved in a bigger gang that is just pretty much it's race related. You know, mainly you stick with your race, and that's how like you get along. You know, like you pretty much stick with your own race and try. You know, there's like just. Like rules. There's more rules, I think, in prison than there is in society. Because yeah. you actually get enforced with violence if you don't follow these rules. And when did you start to realize and like really move that thought into effect of the, maybe that's not the life you wanted to live? Well, the, when I went to prison for the second time, I um, I was I was pretty well. I was strung out, and when I was strung out from the street to prison, there's more drugs in prison than in regular societies or societies. So I cope for the first couple of years while you're doing drugs. Cause that's, you, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get someone to give you drugs instead of help, you know, like you'll find more people that be like wanting to do drugs with you than be like, Oh, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. So for the first couple of years, I just did drugs until I just, I think it was like a two-year mark where I just said, like, no, I'm like, I'm good, you know? And I just started pretty much just reading, you know? And how much more time were you in there for? Um, let's see. So I did four and a half the second time. So I had two years left. I had two years to the mark that I, I that I was pretty much like, you're going to go home, you know? Because there, there's, there's a, there's a non-violent date where meaning like, if you don't commit no crimes, if you don't if you don't do anything in the prison, they'll let you out early. But I had already picked up another crime in there, so it, that was out the window. So I was already just depending on the date that I was going to come out. So it was two years to that mark, you know. So I had been clean for the first year, and I'm like, all oh, right, but everything follows you, you know. Like it's not like oh you did good for a year, no. It's like you got to write up here for a weapon, or you got this or that. So everything just 
it's not like you're just there, you know, until the date that they tell you to go, you know? Mm-hmm. And in that case where you kind of decide to change your life, do you become ostracized? Like, do people stop hanging out with you or do you stop hanging out with people? It's hard, you know, because, <laughs> you know, when you're like in there, right, it's you're going along with everything they're saying. Obviously, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, meaning like you're going to cause pain on this, but you're going to do that. So when you start deciding like, oh, no, I'm doing good, they it's kind of like almost they see that, you know, they see that and they're like, they're like, um, it's more like um, push more things on, responsibilities, you know, like in the society you have responsibilities, you have to do this, do that, or either hold weapons or do this. And when they see that you're around lifers, you know, there's people that's never going to get out. And these lifers are seeing, they, they watch, they see everything that's going on. So when they see something, sometimes I feel like, oh, well, they push the, those responsibilities on you. Like, oh, let's see what he does. Or, you know, so they start like, oh, here, you need to do this. And they just want to push your like, like, it's almost like your loyalty to them, you know, it's like, and that's where the line goes between, um, a general population and, and uh, a different population in the prisons, you know, just, so they, I think it's just like seen, you know, like it just, it's just, you just got to be lucky, you know, you're not in one of those areas where they just don't ostracize you. <laughs> yeah. And why did you turn to education? When I got out, when I was released. And, and you said you were reading in there. Oh, when I was reading in there, um, mainly because everything in there I had already well, I had her gone to prison. I had known how to survive there. I know what to do, what I needed to do. And the second time I was there, I was just pretty much like there and on my own. And then I pretty much lost everything else that meant something to me. So at that time, I was like so numb. And when I started getting sober, I just started getting more clarity. And I'm like, like well, what am I doing? You know, I can't just sit here and just watch TV or, or you know, just... Just, just sit here, you know? So I just started reading, you know? I started with, like, self-help books. I started with anything that would educate me, you know? Anything, you know? It was, yeah, how available is it there? It's, so if you have someone that would buy the books, then it's pretty good. But, like, they got law libraries where you could go up to them and, and get, you know, rent out the books. But it's... It's rare. When you find a good book, you kind of hold on to it. And then you ask people if they have books and just... Good luck, you know, I'm going to borrow them or, yeah. yeah. And how did you transition into rising scholars? Right. Yeah. Well, as when I got out of prison, I, um, I met with the, well, pretty much the coroner and he pretty much took me in the first time and the second time. So as I was, I was coming in the second time, he recognized me and I like, I, I think I seen, I think I seen him before I even checked into my PO. <laughs> You have like, once you get out of prison, you have like four days or three days. Three days depends on what day you get out. And I checked into school before I even went over there. Yeah. And coming out of prison, starting to kind of come back into society. First, how was it like coming back into society after four years? Four years is a big change. And then coming into school as well. Um, You know, like, I think we talked about earlier, it, like, it's kind of like a little prison. Not like, it's not, it's, 
So coming out from an institution, coming to another institution is just this institution is just educates you. So I think I feel kind of like it's hard because around who's around and and like sometimes you get uh, imposter syndrome or you're, there's there's um just like you start just it hits you harder and harder. But it's like you're in these spaces, but you're just like it's it's I don't know. It's just it's either this or prison. <laughs> yeah. And then what about school? Like you coming into school, were you, were you also studious growing up or not really until your later life? Um, um, I don't Growing up, I would, I, you know, I was born like a hard worker, like for my parents. And I was always interested in learning, you know. Um, I was, I think I, I kind of, like growing up and when when I went to prison, what I learned and then I, like what I like learned this time around, like from the like my professors and the writing scholars, like I just started adapt like everything that was being told. I just did, <laughs> even if it was if it just sounded weird, I just did it. <laughs> and then coming into the school system, what has that experience been like for you? Coming to the school system, well, fortunately for rising, like there's rising scholars in that program has just been. Yeah, can you describe what rising scholars is? Well, rising scholars is for forming college system impacted students, but at the city college level, luckily when I came in, there was a class that it was everybody there was formerly incarcerated, so we all like it was like. Not nurturing, I would say nurturing, but it was comfortable, you know. And we're all doing here for like we're here for the same reason. And the rising scholars kind of it was like it's like a nest, you know. It's like it's taking you in, and then it's like everybody is here for like they pretty much believe in you, like more than maybe you might believe in yourself, or just they just pretty much I don't know how to describe it. It's just like something that is. It's not seen, but it's just like you feel it like, all oh, right, this is what needs to be done or this is going to do. It. And you know that you're not getting lied to or anything, you know, so it's like it's just it's. um, Yeah, it's just very helpful. You know, the right scholars is like just something that is just like, I don't know, it just since everybody's formerly incarcerated, since it went back, it's something that's like relatable. I could relate to everybody there, you know, and it's kind of hard to describe with the other students, you know, you can't tell someone else, oh, I've been here and here, you know, it's like, they're going to be like, oh, like what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you studying here at CC? Uh, sociology. When I first started, I wanted to be a addictive disorder counselor and I still want to do that, but I want to get the certificate, but now I want to go into sociology so I could be able to transfer and be able to um, go, up, go with the BA or go higher, you know? Yeah, where are you trying to transfer? Um, I, I keep, I, I keep saying like UCSB, but I, I keep talking to um some of the advisors and someone said Berkeley, but that's like kind of far, you know. That's like <laughs> I'm just tr- just trying to get through the first like the semester and playing <laughs> every semester, yeah. just playing it by the semester, you know. And you mentioned you had a, a kid, right? Yeah. How does that play into all this? It's hard. It's not easy, you know, because you got to split all your time. You got to time manage everything. And then it's just, it's difficult. But I feel like 
what I'm doing will pay off long in the long run, you know, because I could just simply just go and, and get a job and, and, you know, just be there and do all these things. But I think education and is just, it's going to be more, it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah, because if you had, if you chose a different school, they would have to move with you, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And only for that short period. Right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. Luckily, they're in a in a space where they have like home, and they're like, you know, I could visit them and I could see them any time I want, or every other weekend, or. And, and how do you feel like you you were formerly incarcerated? How do you feel coming back to an institution, whether it be school, right? Um, and you kind of are on a different mind state, or like you've been through a lot of stuff that other people on campus haven't. Um, it's. It's kind of like, you know, like there's this, um, so since the Rising Scholars is this thing that we do that that's kind of helped out, you know, it what really helps out. We, we've gone to um, like a couple middle schools and we share our story. There's a couple of times where we kind of done outreach and we get to express our stories about how, like what we've been through or what we're doing. And that helped, that, that helps out a lot. Yeah, and how how do you stay motivated? You know, because you said you mentioned it's hard. You have a kid, you know, maybe, you know, seeing in the past imposter syndrome. How do you motivate yourself through all this? I pretty much try to stay connected to anybody at school, everybody that's doing the same thing I'm doing. I, I try, <laughs> try to think about what can happen if I go back. Because the first time I came to college, I... And, I went back to what I knew and what got what I knew got me in prison. So pretty much now I just try to stay connected and just try to listen to like my you know, my mentor or listen to anything that anybody's got like like they're doing something positive in the community, I try to do that or if, if anything that's helpful, you know, that, that will help me or help my community, I try to do now. Yeah, and looking back how do you feel about like all the things that you did? Do you feel like, you know, that was necessary to, to get you to this point? Or do you look back and you're like, oh, dang, like, you know, I wish I knew better. I wish there was another route. Oh, there's, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of regret, you know, because there's like everything that I knew or done now that I think about it is, it was pretty much like a lie, you know, <laughs> like, that's in a in a higher like I feel like there's like it was like a setup, you know, like in my community all there was is gang members. All there was is this. There was nothing, nobody ever going into these neighborhoods saying, Oh, you gotta go to school or you gotta do this or there wasn't ever any advocacy to be like, Oh, we're, we're, you're in trouble or like this is what you need to do to get better. Everything was like, Oh yeah, you're getting in trouble. Oh yeah, you're gonna go to this school, you know, they're gonna put you with this population. Oh, you're doing this. Oh, you're going to go over here. You know, they separate and they already said, it feels like it was already a setup from the beginning. So everything that I've done, I feel like I did because I like, it was, it was already in that. It was already like something that was already going to happen. I feel like there was no way that I could avoid it. My brother was in prison. Everybody that I knew was in prison. Like there was no way. I think that prison actually kind of saved me because I was just like, it gave me like a little reality check, you know, because I could have gone out, I could have gone done life, or I could have done more time, or you know, luckily that the first time it was like a, 
it was this was the second time it was just a four and a half years is a lot, but to me it's like I was around people that were 10, 20 years and 30 years. There's a lot of people that I grew up with, like they're dead or OD'd or, or doing a lot of time. And it's like everything that I learned, I feel like it's something that I almost need to learn, I think. Yeah, and I completely agree with you because that same thing happened to my brother. The brothers, you know, both of them were sent to El Puente instead yeah. of <laughs> instead of intervention programs where you know they're able to teach like you said and help them and, and have like outreach from the community they put them in schools and my me myself i was sent to la cuesta right. but not i wasn't like uh anything to do with like getting in trouble on that it was just ha- had to do with credits but even going to la cuesta and seeing a bunch of like um i don't know people that hung out with gangsters or whatnot or or they were just being sent there they're like yeah. you said it was a big setup yeah i think it was a setup from the beginning there's so much like I feel like there's so much um, like little barriers that they set up for these community the communities that it's like you're going this way and this is what you're gonna do you know and it's like unless you have someone that like literally is there with you and be like oh this is what you should do or this is what we should be doing or this is it's not gonna happen you know like yeah. and hopefully that could change in the future you know a lot of with the program with writing scholars, there's a lot of formerly incarcerated students, students, and a lot of them are, you know, around all the communities are, are receiving like, um, how would you say, it? like honors, or they're receiving like good grades, you know, and they're all formerly incarcerated. Hopefully, they that you know, it's like a little movement that gets everybody like ex- formerly incarcerated um, um, inmates or students to come back and and go to school, you know. And why do you think that is that they're receiving honors in such like high grades? Mm, I think it's the trauma. I think the trauma that they've gone through. I think it's the everything that they've been through. It's like they gone through so much trauma that it's like I think they feed off like, oh, this we I need to get this good grade because this is like it's <laughs> they're probably so traumatized. I don't I really don't know how to say it. It's just like I feel like the trauma has a lot to do with that. They would need that need turns into like a perfectionist, like, oh, I can't fail or I can't do this or I can't do that. I need to do this. You know, it's I don't, I don't know how another way to put it. I think it has has to do a lot with childhood trauma. <laughs> yeah, and how has the like prison system impacted the way? you see things like going in looking at your schoolwork what you say that again how, how has the prison system like your experience in it impacted the way you interact within school um well everything in prison is like structured you know like you gotta be up by this time you gotta be this and 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 just the um the gangs in there is the same thing. You got to be up by this. You got to do this. You got to be there. You got to do this. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm not saying it like, like preparing, but it's like more traumatizing than that. But in the schoolwork, it's like, it's, set, it's like, you got to do here. You got to be like, this is what you have to do. So it's like, I'm almost like, I feel I almost conditioned to like follow rules. You know, if I don't have no rule. I feel like kind of like, kind of off, you know? Yeah. So I feel like the, stru- the the college gives me like some type of structure in my own life, you know? Yeah, and how, we talked a little bit about Rising Scholars, but what would you say has been the most impactful thing that it has done for you? Because earlier we were talking about like the club and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Are we able to say names this time? Like, um, um, 
up to you guys then. Or like, so no, I always say he's, that's pretty much like been the fuel, you know, like <laughs> of the um the motivation, you know. Yeah, I agree. Even when I was in, I was in a, a transition or rising scholar in EOPS, just seeing someone that looked like me, you know, achieving those heights definitely, and having him as your mentor specifically in that program is definitely, you know, yeah. <laughs> fuel. Yeah, it's like the fuel of the you know the pro- like. The like of me personally, and just like, oh, right, like this is a person that achieved this, this, and that, and it's it's just the like you were like, in in so much ways, but so different at the same time. But it's just like, oh, right, right, you know, like, and I think it was his first class that got me into like what to do as a model student, what to do as this, and even for the club, you know, yeah. <laughs> like just motivations, you know, like just ideas, you know, just. Yeah. And what do you, as you're the president of the club, right? Right. Yeah. What does that entail? <laughs> you know, when I first started, I didn't really know. I thought it was just something that you just sign up, you know? <laughs> Serious. I thought it was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be easy, you know, just sign up. Nah, like they had, we had to go get like signatures and then we had to get like, five people I'm like damn this is like a miniature game <laughs> I was just like what is this you know I was thrown off you know I was just really thrown off like but it it's like and then there you have to write like what you're doing you know so like by the start of that it was like oh wait like this is this is something you know like and then students that were like were getting involved they were just like uh, kind of like uh, it's still kind of like it's not like oh we're so like you know but it's like the little students that we're it's very helpful you know like it's like we do outreach we do um, tablings we do just something to keep you in the mindset of school you know we just it's just a lot of like like how do you say it was just like something new you know something that that makes sense you know something that that's helpful for ourselves and just how um we go out and tell our story is just something like, all oh, right, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it just feels good, you know. <laughs> yeah. And all said and done, once you finish CC, you go to college or the university, right? Whichever one you choose, what is the ultimate goal? Like what what do you want to see yourself as? I keep, I've been asking myself that and I see myself like in a lot of like, I like helping now, you know, like I've been like noticing that like I just like, I want to help, I want to help like the, like the younger me or I want to, you know, cause ain't no, there ain't a lot of people, that, well, not that I know of cause I've only been out like a year, but I don't see a lot of people going and talking to like gang, like, you know, the younger me like telling me like, oh, this is what you got to do or this. You know, there, there might be, but there's so much other sections that are being missed, you know, like it's just like, I want to do something within those lines. I still don't know exactly what, but I just want to just keep going until yeah. <laughs> I'm there, feel like satisfied, you know? <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's it's trippy out there, dude. Cause I'll be walking in, in town and I'll, I'll I'll see kids like wearing really baggy clothes, like they're they're like twelve, and they'll be mad dogging me, and I'm just like, wow. that's great. That's like so sad to see. Yeah, and then I think the media, social media, and everything just 
more violent, more violence, more violence, more violence. You know, yeah. you have to do this, you have to do that. And everything's becoming more violent, more, you know, the fentanyl epidemic. Everything is becoming more and more and more. And you keep seeing the kids are getting younger and they're getting more involved, you know. Yeah. So what was the hardest part about being in prison for you specifically? The hardest part? Um, well, being away from the people I love, you know, um, being, um, yeah, that was like, it was it, like, you know, like when you go into prison, it's like, oh, I'm going to do my time. And, you know, nah, it's like you go in there and you're going to pretty much another, you join another gang, you know, and yeah, you have choices whether to do something or not, but, you know, there's peer pressure to this or that. So it's like, it's it's just like the hardest part is like, what do you do? You know, <laughs> like every day you go out in the yard, there's something that could happen. Like there's a decision like, are you, you know, what if something like a riot pops over this or that? You know, those are like the hardest decisions. I like, I'm going to go over here. You're not really safe in prison, you know, like you got to be like pretty much just like on like your full like <laughs> attention span on anything that like, you know, especially there's this thing that always happens and it, it reminds me now it's like when it gets like quiet, you know, in prison, like like when there's like no, like in prison, there's a lot of people, so it gets loud, you know, but there's a time when it gets like, like there's no noise. If there's no noise, like when it's quiet and that, that means that something's happened. It's like an automatic, like, you know, like, like an alert, you know, like, and it never fails. It's like, so... I don't know, the hardest thing would be just everything, you know, like there's nothing easy there, you know. Yeah. How are you treated by the COs? Mm, the COs, it just depends the prisons, you know, because a lot of them like, like there's some prisons where like, there's like, if there's like a hard CO or someone that's very difficult, half the time they won't last, you know, they probably get attacked or I don't know, they're, they're not going to last, you know, so half the time they're, they're pretty like chill, you know. They're <laughs> do they get checked too then um, in prison? Uh, I don't. Yeah, it depends, you know. Once they get stabbed or something, <laughs> oh, it depends, you know, because there's <laughs> lifers there. You yeah. know, there's there's people that are gonna spend the rest of their lives there, and they're gonna be, they're not gonna want to wake up to someone being an addict, yeah. like an addict, and they're not. Gonna, somebody's life is never gonna get out, you know. Yeah. So like, it's like one of those like the COs know that, you know, they're not gonna be like. <laughs> like shut the fuck up and then be like you know like yeah. some might but I don't know how long they'll last but it's just it's just something that just I don't know it's just I don't never ran into that they're pretty like it's pretty like chill like yeah. I think for those reasons you know because there's a lot of people that are violent and they're there for a very long time you know yeah. and what has what do you think has been and will be the long term effects of you know, you being in prison, whether it be, you know, personal or you having to talk to a PO, mental or... The hardest? Or what's the long-lasting impact of oh. being in the prison system? Like being... Incarcerated. Trauma, traumatized, you know, <laughs> pretty much traumatized. You know, you see a lot of things in prison. It's not like something that, you know, you see a lot of attacks. You see a lot of people getting stabbed. You see a lot of things that that are meticulously thought of, you know, like some some attacks are not just you're gonna just get attacked there's like some evilness behind those so it's like you build the trauma you build a lot of like like what is like, it PTSD? 
Is, uh, would that be? I think it would be PTSD. Yeah. Just like war, you know, shit goes goes yeah. on, and then you you hear a certain noise and you like, yeah. freak out. PTSD. Yeah. yeah. Dang. And what is the message that you want to say to people? Hmm. Just go to school, you know. <laughs> Try to go to school and just stick to the books, you know. I think that's that's it'll get you further in anything you know yeah and for someone in the position that's let's say you know 12 to 18 that they still have that opportunity to kind of change while they're young what would you say to them let's pretend that you know they're here what would you say to them Mm. i would say to think about all your decisions you know i always think about everything you're gonna do twice (laughs) don't go on um don't do something out of either anger or frustration, you know. Don't um don't fall under peer pressure, you know. Um Is that a big part of it? Like, you know, going with your homies and then just feeling that pressure from them? I think it is. I think pressure fresh pressure fitting in. Mm, lack of acceptance of society. Um it's it's just it all, yeah, you know what? It all, I think it does all go down to pressure and and not being accepted. Maybe like yeah. it's you know, it's like it's human nature. I think like it's like everybody gets in a group and it's like oh, I want to do this or that, and it's like and the, when you're young, it's like oh, I'm gonna go with this group, <laughs> you know, because no no one messes with those groups, you yeah. know. So it's like all right, yeah. So it's like. And then once you're in those groups, it's like the pressure, the pressure of doing whatever. Oh, I got to do this because it's gonna be. I'm gonna look cool, you know. So it's like one of those things. It's like cool is not always cool, you know. Like especially when there's um, consequences, you know. Like you could a lot, you know. I've known a couple of people that have gone away, like at 13 or 12, or you know, gone away done. I don't know how many years, but they've gone away for a long time and off of one decision. You know, one decision got them pretty much a long time. And you think that, oh, I'm young. Oh, I'm not going to get in trouble for that long. But, you know, once you get into that system, it's not something that you come out of because you get into the system and now you're getting institutionalized. Now you're getting, like, used to not, like, you're getting used to this. You know, you're getting trained. This is what you're going to do. And this is... And that becomes your norm, you know, like, and there you go. You come out, let's say you just 14, you come out at 16. Now you're used to that, you know, you're already used to that. So now, oh yeah, I'm just going to do this, you know, but it's not like always like that. Cause that's, you can never get your time back. There's nothing that, nothing will bring you back from your time, you know? So how do you combat that? How do you combat like the peer pressure and all the, that stuff? Um, I would say, um, self-love, um, Self-love and um, just knowing yourself, you know, knowing who you are, you know, not knowing who you are, I think, brings you to a, a positive mindset, you know, because you're feeling, you're, I think you're, you're paying attention to social media, you're paying attention to this, you're paying attention to that, you're paying attention to rap song, you're paying attention to this, oh, and then you're thinking, oh, this is what I am, but if if you know yourself, then you know that you you're not feeding into any societal or like societal influence. You know, you're not falling into any of those like 
negative peer pressure. You know, you know, you you know what's right and what's wrong. You know. Yeah, and do you is it ever in the back of your mind if you're like hanging around or walking around town? Do you ever feel like you're gonna run into anyone? Or no, nah, I I don't really worry. <laughs> I good. probably I probably should, but I don't. I really oh, I don't yeah. really. You know, when you go to prison, you're around all your enemies. You're around everything. So, like, it's, I think it's not something that I worry about, you know. It's, mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And, again, is there anything else, any story or anything else you want to mention? It's around, like, 30 minutes. Yeah. Um. No, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, bro. Do you want to get started with how you ended up here, like, your life story? Yeah. All right. So I, uh, I'm originally from Santa Maria and, um, I came out here and I, I, uh, came out here in 2021 and, uh, I, um, I got out of prison. I was just doing a little, a little, uh, I think I got 32 months with 80 on this possession of a stolen vehicle. This was one of the, this is that was the last time I was ever in prison. And, uh, I got out. I, uh, came out here to Santa Barbara. My girlfriend, who was my girlfriend at the time, she became my wife later, but she was telling me maybe it's time to make a change, clean up, do something. Cause, uh, this is getting old. I, I, um, I had been doing this since 89, in and out of juvenile hall, youth authority, prison, back and forth. And I finally, I was kind of running out of options, you know. Um, and uh, I, I saw the result of the continuous drug addiction, which I had, uh, gang activity, just all that, that whole lifestyle, where it ended up. So I um, I said, okay, I'll do that. Well, um. I uh, I went to this this program out here called the Salvation Army. It was a ninety day program. It um after being there a couple weeks, I knew it wasn't for me. It wasn't going to be enough to change me. The desire, the to use, to get back into that lifestyle, everything was still there, loud and clear. You know, like I couldn't uh, I couldn't turn away from it. Well, my my wife. She had said, there's this program called the Rescue Mission, Santa Barbara Rescue Mission. I had heard of it. And uh, I said, all right, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And uh, I started looking back to the people that had told me about it. Well, I had never heard anything bad about it. And uh, I gave him a call. She had given me a number to the dude that ran it. I gave him a call, chopped it up with him for a little bit on the phone about what I had been through. Um, my through my life, he said, uh, we'll come down for an interview. Uh, about a week later, I went down there, interviewed. He said, um, he'd accept me. So that was on a Friday. I told him, can I come in on Monday? And he goes, yeah, I want, since I wasn't going to be able to spend time with my wife and everything, it was pretty, um, at least I, that's what I thought. Um, I went back on Monday. We went to a Dodger game over the weekend. Uh, and uh, saw my my nephew graduate from um, Fullerton College. So uh, 
we did that. And then I, I turned, I went in on Monday and I started the program. I, uh, I chose to go all in with it. I figured if I was going to do it, I'll, I'll put forth everything I got, um, follow their rules, uh, do what they ask and, um, see what happens. If, if I'm not feeling it, you know, and, whatever amount of time that I felt was appropriate, then I would, I would leave. I'd go back to what I was doing. I get to the program. Um, I'm immediately surrounded by dudes that were overly happy to see me, offering everything, talking to me. Uh, I thought it was a joke. I thought these dudes are playing the role. These dudes are full of, full of crap. They're, they're, Come on, this is this this can't be. And then uh it it kept going on for a couple of days. And I was like, man, what one of these dudes, I, I I try to catch them slipping, you know, like talking craziness or war stories or something like that. None of them were doing it. And I was like, dang, man, this this may be real. This might be, it might be the real thing. Well, what I learned about that program was that all the staff that worked there had been through the program too. So there wasn't nothing that they could tell me to do that they hadn't done themselves. And I really respected that. I thought that, dang, you know, that's, I, I can, I can follow that lead. Some of them had 10 years, 15 years, 20 years sobriety. And, uh, they were never, um, hesitant about sitting down and talking to me, telling me their story or, or, um, kind of telling me what I was going to see in the future or what I I'm, I was going through at the time. They hooked me up with the, with a tracker, which is like a mentor that, man, even though he was a little white dude and everything, he seemed like he was torn from the same cloth, doping, uh, in and out of the county, um, ran around like crazy doing all the, all the stuff. And he, he, he knew the life of a drug addict not so much a gang member, but a drug addict and a, and a fast talker and everything. So I, uh, I appreciated that. And, um, I kept on going with it. So with, with that program, you, you, uh, you get a sponsor, you work the 12 steps of the big book, uh, which I did. I identified with everybody at the meetings, alcoholics, addicts, whatever they were. I, I knew what, well, their stories were my story, just in a different shape of a person or whatever. So um, during your, your steps, uh, the big book talks about having a spiritual awakening. There's a, an educational kind and then there's like the the bright light kind. Uh, me myself, I had the educational kind. It's it's a it's a it's a transformation of your personality of your perception, and it's over a. a, a a period of time. Like mine didn't happen overnight. I started, it started growing on me. So I started reacting to things different. I started accept, uh, interpreting things differently. Um, and before I knew it, the desire that, 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 um, I had for use and for that lifestyle started to slowly go away. Um, I met more people in the rooms of AA that had decades of sobriety. But after talking to them for a second, that old dope fiend and convict and everything would come out of them. They'd start talking. Like I knew they 
this dude knows what he's talking about. He knows this lifestyle. And, and I was like, dang. And yet he had a nice car, maybe had a house, maybe owned a business. Everybody has different things. And those were all things that I wanted. In the past, I used to think that I was only going to get him through drug dealing, jacking, doing something like that. Maybe one day hitting the lottery. But I um, I did. It took me a while to realize that it takes hard work and dedication to something to to prosper. Um. In order to do that, I knew I had to get rid of my addiction, my attraction to that lifestyle. Um. And replace it with something else. I replaced it with the big book, going to meetings, having a sponsor, um, and just living life differently. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I went. I, I graduated the program. It's a year long program. Eight and a half months of it is is uh, book studies, Bible Bible studies, work um, for them. Uh, you can't really. You can't just come and go as you please, but you can after a certain amount of time. Excuse me. I I, uh, completed all that. But when it came time to graduation, uh, there was, I think, eight of us that graduated in my class. They usually choose one person to stand up and speak for the class, tell tell about what he's done, his... his, uh, road to getting there and everything. And I was lucky enough or or honored to, they asked me to do the commencement speech. It made me nervous, but I was like, you know what? It's my story. I can tell it. Um, And I did for my class. Uh, At the time, a position for that program, well, the homeless guest services came up and they they were telling me, hey, apply for it, apply for it, and I was like, nah, I don't, I I can't work no job like that. I'm, I'm, that's not me. I'm gonna go moving or roofing or plumbing or something. You know, something that I is, I can't see um, myself really helping homeless people or or scheduling uh, uh, showers or doing anything like that. Like I, it just didn't seem like it was me, or that they would hire someone like me. Um, the way I looked, the way I talked, the way that I was dressing. And they said, just try it. Just try it anyways. And something that I learned through the program and through the rooms of AA is that doing the, the things that make you uncomfortable are good for you. And that's that's what we should do. Step outside of the shell that we, I was enclosing for so long and try something new. So I... Uh, I had this this um, teacher there for the, you go you get this learning center after you're there a couple months and he tell help me do a little resume and I did it first time I had ever done that I did it um, I I put it in and uh, they didn't tell me nothing I graduate on a f- Saturday and Monday morning they tell me hey uh, go over across the street they want to talk to you. And I go, all right. So I walk over there and they say, hey, we uh, we decided to hire you. I was like, cool. Like, I was surprised. Something new. I um, I start working for them. And uh, let me see. I, I kind of jump in, jumping around because there's some things that I should fill in in between. Um, while I was at that program was uh, the dude, Leo, 
that I was telling you about that does the learning center, he's he's um he's like an ex homie from East LA and and he he he's trying he's becoming a lawyer, been to the pen and everything like that. So he uh he's there to help us with resumes, with learning how to use a computer, um, job interviews, things like that. And um he also exposes us to other things. He takes he took us to uh, field trips to UCSB, to Homeboys Industries in LA, to uh, the Art Institute of LA, all these different places. He takes us over there just to to show us other things, things that we've never seen before. And um, during those those things, he said, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna have some people come over. Uh, they're from this underground scholars. Hear what they have to say." They came. A dude that um, was in charge of it, like for UCSB, he's like the, um, he's like the, I don't know what his title was, but he uh, he came over with a couple other guys. They spoke about the program, how uh, it was in Berkeley, and people like us had taken advantage of it, and they they'd gone places. So I heard it, didn't pay too much attention to it. <clears throat> we went down to a UCSB for a, a, a little seminar thing they were giving. Well, while we were there, um, they said, oh, yeah, they're awarding somebody the, like, staff of the year for for the underground scholars or for the Biggie program, which is similar to ours, but in, in Santa Maria. And uh, I asked people, what's a Biggie program? And then I seen one of my homies there that I grew up with, he came up to me. He's like, hey, what's up? And he uh, he was telling me how he had taken advantage of this years ago. He was got his degree. He was looking to buy a house in a year. And I was like, whoa, like, that's that's amazing. I'm telling him about my little journey. He says, hey, I, the homie so-and-so is here with me, too. He came. He had just done 17 years. So I was like, what? He's like, yeah, he's been out for like a little less than a year, but he's doing good. So he came around. I started talking to him. He was, he had came home with the AA. He was doing it. He was getting connected in Santa Maria with the Biggie program. Um, I go, what are you guys doing here? They said, we're here because the other homie that we, that we know, he's a little older than us. He's getting the award. He's the one who started this program. I was like, whoa, like it blew my mind. I was like, dang, I'm not the only one that's, it was it was like um, it was inspiring to hear that these dudes, which all I knew, all of them were doing this. Um, I talked to them a little bit. The only thing they have really to say that stood out to me most was, "Don't give up, don't get frustrated, and stick with it. They, it, it it'll pay off if you put in the work." I said, "No problem. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna do that." A couple of weeks later, we come out here to. Uh, I'm at the program and they say, hey, there's a like a, it was like um, this little thing where a bunch of tables were set out here on the grass uh, for SBCC. We come, one of the guys that was in the program with me had spoke to Noel about getting back in and this and that. So when we're like walking around, he says, hey, you should talk to this dude. So I speak with Noel. He tells me, hey, look at him. Uh, if you're interested and when you reach the phase where you can come back to school, email me. Hit me up. He's like, that. I'll tell you, email me because calling probably not going to happen this night. I answer my emails. Hit me up. I said, all right. I had about two months left until I, I could start school or go to work. Um, 
that time comes, and uh, I I had his number in the with the email. I said, you know what, I'm gonna try it. See if this dude was full of crap or what. And I, I email him. I um I pursue it. Um, he says, hey, look at this is when the semester's gonna start. Tells me everything, like basically walks me through it all. I come over here, I register, I get in his class, they kick me down some supplies that I needed that I, I wasn't even knowing if I was going to need or not. I hadn't ever been to an outside college. The last public school I went to was in um, 91. So from 91 to 2022, um, I had like a gap in my in my schooling. Um, I did go a little bit in youth authority and in prison. I, I picked up some, some units, but... Um, over there, they just give you your book. Um, you work on it, and every, I think it was like every week or every two weeks, I go to a room where there was a proctor, takes a, a quiz or whatever, and then that's it. So it wasn't like ain't nothing like this to me. Um, I uh, I start coming here, and um, it's uh, well, let's see. So I finished the program. I'm working at, over there and I'm coming to school, which it seemed a little, it, it was a little rough. But in Noel's class, there was, because um, I had him and Ms. Garcia, those two classes, and then another, it was addictive disorder counseling class because I felt something inside of me said, you know what, maybe you can be like these dudes at the mission and help people that are drug addicts too and help them straighten out their lives, you know, like uh, lead them in the right direction. That one of the steps after you're in doing them is step 12 is to um, carry the message and be of service. And I figured, you know what, maybe I can do that and get paid for it, you know, like, and, and, and it's helpful to me and it could be a way of, of life for me. And, um, so balancing those things, I thought was going to be hard. There happened to be a, a section in the book that we were doing with Noel's class that was time management. And I was like, dang, this right here is, is what I needed. Even though I kind of knew it in my head, this thing lays it out for you. It, You know, like I started taking the hours I had in the day and saying, okay, well, you know what? Like, let me put well, it said I had to put two for every hour of class. I had to put two hours of study. I was like, "Dang, that's kind of rough," but I can do it because I have all these hours that I do nothing with. That I sit and watch TV or whatever. And why not do this? In a couple of years, it'll pay off. Um, I do that. Miss Garcia's class helped me um, take that resume that I had and just perfect it, make it a whole lot better than it was, and. She introduced me to making a cover letter. I was able to do that. Um, she um, she was another big help in in my in my um, schooling. Um, during this time is when, well, pretty much when I started the first semester, um, I was told about Rising Scholars, like that they. It's not just something that helps you get started in school. It'll be something that helps you go through it with any any hiccups you have, any any um like questions you may have, whatever. Right, the people at Rising Scholars, EOPS, are there to help you. And just like the people at the mission 
that I thought were just like putting on playing a role. I learned the same thing to these people. I came over here. Not once did I ever get turned down for help. And they were always here to help. And I mean, they go out of their way to help you. I just went through a, a situation where three of them helped me get put back in a class. Like, I mean, did it quick and it was it was a blessing. It's um the rising scholars also is is um it's pretty important to me because of course it's systemly impacted people and since I know that I'm impacted by the system, it's uh it's like having a homie that's that's it's like going to a new school and you know the most popular dude at the school because he's gonna he you know now everybody accepts you. I come here, even though I feel a little different because there's an age gap and everything, I still I'm still part of this. Uh what did we do? We went to um to UCSB one time with no just a couple of us, me, Noel, Ms. Garcia, and a couple of the other students. And we go around there. Some dude, I think he was a, a rising scholar, EOPS before transitions. He gave us a tour, um, broke everything down to us, did it happily. And I mean, I was thinking, what this dude does not have to do this, but he's giving back. And he's helping us. He's showing us, uh, man. This 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 program has been so much help to me. Uh, let me see. I think uh, that's what pretty much got me here. My my um, while I was here, um, another job opportunity came up for an, for an actual. Instead of working with the homeless, it was an actual. Uh, treatment program and um, a detox treatment program and better pay, more uh, like what I want to do. And um, I applied for it and uh, I got it. What I what I am majoring in is, is called ADC, Addictive Disorder Counseling. Uh, it, it's it's perfectly in line with what I'm, I'm trying to become. Uh, I'm, I don't know, I guess I'm like a third of a way through it. Without Rising Scholars, I don't think I would have, I think I would have given up a few times for some of the little problems I hit. I think I would have just like thrown in the towel and be like, you know what, I'll go back to whatever else. You know, maybe not not uh, drug dealing, nothing like that, but I'll go back to plumbing or something, you know. Um, Rising Scholars has helped me access to computers, um, books. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I first came aboard was my first problem. I, I couldn't get, um, like, uh, I couldn't get funding for my books because I, I had transcripts that had to get sent in before I could be part of the rising scholar or of EOPS. I had to get those transcripts in. The semester was going to start and Noel said, well, look, let's go. There's a little loophole right here. I'm going to get money from the underground scholars and pay for this and, and hook it up like that. And all within 20 minutes, we went down there, got the books and everything like that. And he's like, and then when you get your transcripts, we'll just switch you over to EOPS. I wouldn't have known the first thing to do. And he took me right through it. it was, I was like, good looking out, you know? And um. That's that's pretty much 
it, I think. Yeah, man. And <clears throat> I think a lot of people in society don't realize the battles of addiction. Would you, if, if you're comfortable, would you like to discuss if you're comfortable, um, mm. what it's like to be addicted and how you get out of it? Ooh, okay. So being addicted to me, for one, I, I can, my, my addiction started at a young age with drinking. I, I, I can't really point out the exact time when I crossed that line from just uh, drinking every now and then to where I had to drink. Um, but it started out with the attraction that I that I had for family barbecues. Seeing, I'd look around the barbecue or whatever or the house, and I'd see the people doing the most laughing and having the most fun, had a beer in their hand. And I said, you know what? I, I want to be happy like that too. There was always something missing in my life. And I always felt a little out of place. Once I, I drank that liquor, that feeling was gone. And I wanted it to stay gone. I did have some childhood trauma that I went through that uh, with the loss of one of my brothers, my little brother due to a fire and that pain I had never dealt with. So that was also something that I wanted to cover up. Um, I kind of held it in for, for some years, maybe five, six years. Uh, I acted out, whatever. And then when I hit about 11, about a 12, 11 or 12 years old, I started drinking and then that feeling was gone. So I, I kept drinking. And then eventually that turned into cocaine use, meth, may, may, it came out, and or at least it hit my area, and then I, it turned into meth use. Um, by that time, I was already on my way to youth authority. Um, the times, the, the, what I thought were good times, and the people that were in those circles, I wanted to return to. So anytime I got out, I was still... Uh, associated with those same types of people. And the, my addiction to, to that lifestyle and that drug was once I started, I couldn't stop. There was no, there was no, I don't care if you said that, that if you don't use today, we'll give you a thousand dollars tomorrow. I would just use and think, ah, well, maybe I get a thousand dollars a different way. I always threw whatever it was out the window family pleading with me not to use no more because look at what it was doing to me. I couldn't see what they saw. All I saw was if I use, I don't got to feel nothing. I don't got to think nothing. I could, I could just, I, I'll be happy. What I thought was happy. It, it started out as, as a, like a mental thing. And then it, 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 it transformed into a physical thing. I could not, I could not stop using. I could not stop drinking. I, and they all went hand in hand. If I said, okay, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to use meth no more. The second I took a drink of, of alcohol, I wanted to use meth. Um, it, it had a, it had a, a, a strong hold on me. I, um, I used for so long that I thought it was normal. And I, I convinced myself that this is just me. I'm just a drug addict. Uh, there ain't nothing wrong with it. Um, when I did sober up, uh, I thought in my head, well, if I just stop using the drugs, then everything else will be okay. 
that wasn't the case. I had to learn that when I stop using these drugs, I there's other things I have to change about myself because if I don't, those things are going to cause me back to using because I'm going to still have all these feelings that I've never felt before and I'm going to want to cover them up. And if I don't know how to deal with them, the or the only way that I know how to deal with them is by using. Um, drugs and alcohol had a really strong hold on me. And it took me a while. And I'm, I don't know if there is or there isn't, but in my opinion, you, a, a real drug addict or alcoholic, you cannot do it alone. You have to have... Well, for me, the higher power is God. I believe in Jesus Christ, God, and they Jesus died for my sins and everything like that, and he's my strength that helps me get through these things. But there was people that he sent to me to help me with these these other problems that I have, these these character defects of mine, these um emotional uh I guess like states that I'd be in that I didn't know how to deal with. Now I now I know how to do it. I know how to be happy. I know how to be sad. And it's okay. I know that I could be sad and it's okay. I don't have to like cover it up. Um I know that I have to work and uh yeah drug addiction was just it's something and it's a continuous battle for me. It's something that I have to work on every day because um places and people and, and things, they appear out of, you know, they just appear. It's life. And if I'm not spiritually right, then I I could go back. I could relapse. Um, the possibility is there, but, and I never forget that. I, I never forget that I am an addict and that I need to constantly work on recovery. Um, yeah, I hope I answered it right. Yeah. yeah. And what are the physical tools on your body and brain when you're withdrawing and stuff? If if you even withdraw from that. Well, uh meth is it, it isn't so much a withdrawal like like um heroin or fentanyl. It's it's I think it's more of a psychological withdrawal because it's um when I was using all the time I I had, and I started to sober up, I still had this paranoia that things weren't really what they were appearing to be. Um, so I had to learn to to um, get rid of that old thinking and replace it with uh, exactly what things were. Um, uh, sleep, eat, uh, Shoot, I think I put on like 80 pounds or something since I've been sober. And, man, it's not going away. It's like I try, but it doesn't. And uh, it's, it's um, yeah, the withdrawal is a lot different than heroin. I've, I have seen a lot of heroin addicts kick. And that, that looks pretty rough. Alcohol also, those things are, those are rough withdrawals. Um, where I work, I see them constantly. Um so I think that my my withdrawal was more the physical part of it was more of a of a sleep and eat thing and a and a and a mental thing. Um 
everything was like a conspiracy to like everybody was against me or everybody was trying to get what I had and I didn't have nothing anyways or at least I thought I did or and they and it, part of it was that's how I was thinking I was always trying to cut corners or try to uh get something that wasn't mine but I felt that I deserved it my lifestyle as an addict was completely selfish in in every way you could think of it. Everything was about me. And that's the bottom line. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for sharing your story, man. It's around 40 minutes. Hell yeah. Thanks, oh, man. It was very thank impactful. Yeah. Dude. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So you're the man, the myth, the legend, Noel. You're currently in charge of Rising Scholars and the co-founder. Right. So... You know, the way Rising Scholars started, you know, back in 2008, we had a formerly incarcerated student. You know, his name was Martin Leva, and he was a student up here uh, in EOPS. And, you know, when he was on parole, he was checking in with um, just like the regular check-ins that some formerly incarcerated students need to do on a weekly basis. And the faces he was seeing in those offices, he also saw some of those uh, people here on campus. And what he decided to do was create a weekly support group for for the women and men to basically just check in, talk about their experiences, what they're going through on a personal level, uh, how that's affecting their studies uh, at the college level. And it became a real close support group. And from that, the director of the time, Marsha Wright, um, she was the director of VOPS. She she already had two summer bridge programs uh, here in the department. One was called Running Start for graduating high school seniors, helping them, you know, uh, transition from high school to Santa Barbara City College. And then we had uh, the Spark program, single parents arriving ready to, uh, for college. And you know, we kind of got our heads together and. Martin was doing research of what other programs were available at a community college level for formerly incarcerated students. And, you know, I was out there looking, you know, um, to see what was available and maybe we can model something from another community college. And there wasn't, you know, this was back in 2008. There wasn't any other community college doing um, a specialized program for formerly incarcerated students. Uh, there were a few community colleges that were offering classes in state prisons, uh, no county jails at the time. And so, you know, we were like, well, what, what do we do? I guess we'll just model, you know, what we call transitions after, um, you know, doing some research of, you know, some other colleges. And, you know, that's the name we came up with, transitions. And we modeled it after the six-week summer bridge programs we already had. And that's what we decided to do. So our first cohort, our first program that we offered was in 2008 during the summer. We had about 25, 30 students. You know, we offered part of the, the program. Students were able to take a personal development 100 class, which is college and career success and um, career planning, which here was PD-191A. And in that program, you know, what we 
try to fill in the gaps of what was preventing students, formerly incarcerated students, from enrolling here at SPCC. And that was, you know, a, a lack of funds to buy textbooks, supplies, backpacks. Uh, also, a lot of formerly incarcerated students are, you know, outside of the uh, labor market, you know, because once you have a background, it's very challenging and difficult to get a job. So what we did is we provided a weekly stipend, you know, $100 a week, which, you know, now that's nothing. And honestly, even back then, it wasn't even a lot of, a lot of money to, to help students academically. And we did the six-week summer program. And on Fridays, we would go on trips, you know, to create community with the, with the students and really feel, have them feel welcomed here at SBCC. So that first summer, again, we had about 25, 30 students. In 2009, uh, we, we offered it again. And that was actually the first year I ever taught uh, here at SPCC. Uh, I was fairly young. You know, I was nervous because a lot of the students that I was working with were older than me. So I felt that I had to really, you know, prove myself and uh, basically let them know I knew what I was talking about. So that second year, we had about 25, 30 students, uh, same concept, you know, six-week summer bridge program. They took PD-100, college success, and uh, career planning. And, you know, we started seeing a lot of success with students, um, but just like with any program also, you know, there's some students that don't persist. And that was something that was really making me feel like we weren't doing the best we could, you know, like a lot of the, 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 I guess what a lot of people say is like, you know, you help one student, you know, we did our job. And for me, helping one student is just not enough. Like, you know, I really want to have a hundred percent success rate, right. Which is really hard to, to have sometimes with students. Right. So the following year it's like, okay, let's, let's do it better. And, you know, keep building from there. Um, in 2012, you know, I think that's when we really started, you know, getting attention here in the community because we we actually received our, um, it was a California Community College, California Community College's Chancellor's Office Rice Diversity Equity Award. And, you know, the Santa Barbara Independent wrote a big article uh, about it. You know, they interviewed Martin Leva, who, you know, if it wasn't for him, uh, this program wouldn't be here. Uh, he was the individual who saw the need and, you know, exercised um, pretty much his his leadership skills here at SPCC as a student um, to, you know, put this program in place. And, you know, now he's over at, um, down in the San Diego County, you know, doing the same kind of work, you know. And, you know, so take it back to 2012 when the Santa Barbara Independent wrote that article it seemed like everyone in the community um, just knew about the program. Like, you know, it started as word of mouth. You know, I was out in the community outreaching, speaking at different, you know, residential homes, like sober living homes, um, probation, parole. You know, in here in the county, we had our, uh, they call it the PACT meetings, which is police and corrections team. So I would go there and talk about the program. Sometimes I'll take some of our students. Martin will come along. He'll share his story just to motivate students that were formerly incarcerated and didn't really feel that they could actually be here at SBCC. 
that's that's what our goal was was to help them um, believe that they could be here, and we were ready to to welcome them. There was one particular student who eventually he enrolled in our program was in the county jail, and somehow he got his hands on the independent, which I still don't know how he got the independent in there because you know we we can't really have any uh newspapers with staples in there, so the independent has staples in there. how he got in there, I don't know. But he, he, he said in class that that was like a blessing in disguise because when he read that article, the first thing he did was he got released from county jail and he came to EOPS. He spoke to me. We got him enrolled. He never finished the program, but he started his own business in town. So, you know, sometimes we don't measure success with, you know, these graduation rates and numbers and, you know, how many students are transferring to a university, but sometimes we look at, you know, what are students doing now, you know, and we, we see that, you know, they, they leave a previous lifestyle and they're doing really good now. That's a success, right? So in 2012, that's when we really started getting a lot of attention in the community. And at the same time, there were a few uh, state leaders, uh, particularly from Berkeley Law School and Stanford Law School, who put together a uh, proposal, and I want to say it was for the Ford Foundation, and uh, under a nonprofit based out of the Bay Area, I believe. It was called the Opportunity Institute. And through this uh, institute, uh, I want to say the initiative was called Renewing Communities, and it was all specific to formerly incarcerated students and currently incarcerated students and how to provide higher education access to, to students in, in both of these, you know, uh, contexts. I still remember this conference, and I want to say it was probably 2012 or 2013, but we were in L.A. Uh, at the Biltmore in downtown. It was a national conference, and the whole uh, goal of it was to really start pushing initiatives for higher education access in state prisons, county jails, and formerly incarcerated students in the community college level, four universities too, and private universities. And in this one particular breakout session, one of the uh, guys that we had researched in 2008, his name was Jason Bell, um, based out of San Francisco State, and sat down with him. We were talking. There was a few of us. Uh, I can't remember the other. There must have been five or six of us in the room. And, you know, we started talking about the work we were doing in our own campuses. And what was being shared there is how to take what these colleges were doing in their own communities and how we can create a network for formerly incarcerated student support in community colleges. And, and to kind of backtrack a little bit, you know, back in 2008, I want to say there was probably two, three, maybe four, maybe five community colleges in California that were doing work like this. And eventually in 2012, 13, there were other colleges, but they were working in their silos. You know, we really didn't know who was doing what, how they were doing it, you know, how it looked in state prisons and county jails. And, you know, with this conference is like, bring all the best practices together and let's learn from each other. Take that information back to, you know, the community college or wherever you're, you're uh, working at and how to make your program better. From that, you know, a lot of the 
the uh, the people that were pushing these initiatives, the ultimate goal was to create um, a state legislature or basically like create um, like a law basically to fully, not fully fund, but to provide, you know, monies to community colleges to provide this kind of, you know, support for formerly incarcerated students. And eventually that happened in 2019 from years of, you know, research and, you know, uh, convincing people that this work was important. Um, in 2019, there was the first grant, basically it's called an RFP, like a request for proposals, where there was about $5 million available to community colleges to provide, you know, higher education access on campus or in, in county jails. I want to say maybe 44 colleges were able to receive this funding. SBCC was, was one of the colleges. And eventually, and you know, the, we started as a transitions program and now it's called the Rising Scholars Program uh, with, this, with this grant. But in between 2015 and 2019, we were one of the first community colleges that were basically offering uh, credit courses in our local county jail. So we started with one class in the county jail with about 25, 30 students. And now for academic year, we're reaching about 150 women and men inside the county jail just taking classes. And the whole concept between, uh, for that is to have them, you know, uh, get released from county jail. And they already have one or two uh, classes completed that are credit that, you know, help them transfer to a year C of Cal State. So once they get released, they can just enroll here uh, on campus. So we, we started that in 2015 and in 2019, you know, we, that's when we really expanded into a whole year round program. So what started as a six week program in 2008, we expanded into the county jail. Uh, now it's a year round program. And in January, March of 2022, uh, we received another grant to institutionalize the program here at SBCC. So, you know, that's coming up pretty soon where we're actually able to just have that program here um, and just continue doing the work we've been doing. So we've been, so that's a quick summary of what Rising Scholars uh, is about. But, um, you know, we started as a six week summer bridge program and now we're on campus inside the county jail. And we're having a lot of our students that have successfully transferred to four universities also. Heck yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on, bringing some of your students to tell their story. I know we're going to eventually sit down and share your story because your story is insane, you know, where you came from and stuff. But, you know, that serves a longer time period. But, yeah, thank you so much, man, because I, I value that work and just seeing someone in the community that looks like me doing things like this, helping people uh, is just amazing. Absolutely. Hell yeah. yeah thanks for having us. Of course, man. Thank you.
Thank you.